This is the Leadership Institute School Board Campaign Training Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. This year, the Leadership Institute launched this new program for conservatives interested in running for school board or being involved in school board campaigns. Our podcast features faculty members from the new school board campaign training and other expert guests discussing how to design, wage, and win successful school board campaigns. You can learn more and take the program online at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. Welcome to Learn Right, the school board campaign training podcast of the Leadership Institute. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. This week, we're sitting down with Bill Falk, a political consultant and a former candidate for office in the great state of New York. And we're talking about, are you ready to run? Are you ready to step up and, and, uh, and be a candidate and run for office? Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ron. So you've been a candidate. I've been a, can- a candidate for office, me in California, you in, in New York. Let's talk a little bit about what it, a person, a citizen who's never run for office before and wants to step up and is interested in, in running for school board or running for some other office. Th- there's a tendency for people to think coming out of uh, if, you're, if your education has been in uh, – if your education about politics has been in the news media and social media – you might think it's all about the candidate, but it's not really all about the candidate, is it? No, absolutely not. There's a lot of factors you need to consider before running for office. I mean, if you look in the school board, it's not about the candidate. It's about the, the school students, right, We're trying to make a better better world for the kids and better education and making things, you know, making sure the schools are benefiting them. Yeah, so this isn't all about uh, about the candidate because when you step up to become a candidate – you're really stepping up to offer to be a representative of other people, and that's in this case a representative of a plurality or majority of the voters. So when, when I ran for office, I found that, uh, that I was talking less about the issues that I was concerned about and more talking about the issues which the voters were concerned about. Right, absolutely. You know, a candidate for elected office in any sort of um, legislative body, be it a school board or a town council, you know, your, your main responsibilities represent your constituents. Um, and school board is no different. You're going to get elected to a school board, and you're going to have parents and, and teachers and taxpayers. We're all going to have competing interests, and it's your job to best represent them. And, and, and that might even mean putting their, you know, issues above things that you might feel are important. Yeah, when I, uh, I was the 2014 Republican nominee for lieutenant governor of California, and uh, in October of 2014, the two issues that people t- wanted to talk to me more than anything else about uh, was Ebola and ISIS. Now, neither one of those issues have much to do with being lieutenant governor of California, but that didn't matter because it, it, it is not an acceptable answer in a political campaign to say, well, my office doesn't really deal with that, so I don't want to talk about it. You have to have something to say right, uh, about those issues. And so when you're running for school board, uh, you may be animated by certain issues and there's certainly the opportunity to lead there. Uh, but you also have to do a lot of listening and responding to people. Yeah, you might be out there knocking on doors, meeting people. And you know, you think the biggest issue is, say, property taxes. And you might knock on 100 doors and not a single person says property taxes. They tell you that the biggest concern with them is maybe it's COVID or vaccinations or something like that, where... You know, in your mind, you were running for office because the tax rate was too high. But the voters, they didn't think the tax rate was really the number one issue right now. There was other things that were more pressing yeah, that you so, needed to, you know, c- consider. So it's different when you're a candidate than you're than if you're, for example, a blogger or right. someone who right. goes in lo- uh, on local talk radio to talk about the issues because then you're talking about what you want to talk right. about. But 
And then sometimes those folks step up and run for office and they find, hold, wait, hold on a second, this is a little bit different. Uh, I have to prioritize what other people are talking about. And there's a whole bunch of issues that I may not have thought of right. that I'm going to have to have answers to. Right? And you make a good point because typically people who are bloggers or talk radio hosts or people who are used to, you know, expounding their own opinion don't realize that there are other opinions out there that maybe their p- opinion is not the prevailing opinion because people that are listening to them want to listen to them for those opinions. So it's a learning curve for a lot of people who actually yeah. go out there and actually do it. Yeah, that's, that's another point in that uh, uh, when if, if we're just focused on our uh, comfort zone of people who agree with us, people who share our values, people who see the, we're the world the same way, we may need in a political campaign in order to win the office, we have to go beyond that comfort zone and then involve and win over the support of people who may not see the world the exact same way or may have uh, overlapping values rather than identical values and so on. And that means building relationships uh, and finding things that we have in common going beyond, going beyond that comfort zone. And in a school board election, which typically are nonpartisan, you don't have any natural built-in base to rely on, right? Everybody is, oh, there's no RD next to your name or some other party, and there's no, well, I'm voting this guy because you're Republican or Democrat. So that changes the complexion of the race as well. How you develop your base is different than it would be in a, in a, in a, in a partisan race. And you may not even be on the ballot at the same time as other right. so-called partisan offices. Uh, like in your own state of New York, that's not the case, right? Right, right. we have our school elections are in May, you know, months between other elections. And is there a is there a primary on the ballot at the same time or is that No, it's, it's literally just the school boards. The school districts essentially run the election process. They use BOE equipment for elections equipment. Um, but they are their own little elections. So, if you're if someone is out there thinking about I want to run for school board or I may want to run for school board, the first thing is to recognize it's not about them. Right. It's about it, it. At that point, when you're running for representative, it becomes a part of, about a larger group of people. Right. Uh, and that also involves what do you want to accomplish on their behalf, not on your behalf, right. but on their behalf. Uh, and uh, I served as a as a high school board member in San Diego, California, for several years uh, in the Grossmont Union High School District, one of the largest high school districts in the state. Eleven high schools, uh, 140 million dollar. Uh, annual budget. And every single time I was in a board meeting, it had to be about the kids. It had to be about the students. Uh, I might have issues that I'm concerned about, and I'm going to look for opportunities to lead on those issues. But the agenda for that day might be a completely different set of issues because that's what the situation demands uh, in in order to do the job. And oftentimes those interests conflict, right? Because the teachers are coming, for example, and they want a new contract. They want make more money. They want less hours or something like that. But as a, as a school board member, as a parent, you're like, well, I want the teachers to work harder and longer, not less. And then you have the taxpayers that maybe don't have kids in the school district that are like, well, my property taxes are too high. I can't afford another 5% tax increase so you can give the teachers a raise. So you have very dynamic and diverse um, issues that go into a school board that oftentimes people don't think about. Yeah, so number number one, uh, candidates have to be prepared to put the emphasis on, on 
representing other people, uh, right. representing the voters and the taxpayers and the, and the students and working on their behalf. And that may require elevating issues of their concern and sometimes putting aside for the moment uh, issues that may have brought that candidate to the table. That doesn't mean the candidate doesn't run. It just means that, you, that, uh, that, it's, that being a candidate and then serving as elected official is a broader role than simply serving as a commentator or someone who happens to have strong opinions. So as, as someone's getting ready to run, let's say they're ready to do that, they understand that, uh, they're ready to, to move forward, what is the importance of having the support of one's family members in stepping up and running as a candidate? You cannot run for office if you don't have the support of your family. Um, so the first campaign is to win them over. <laughs> exactly. The first campaign is, is your family, right? If, if your spouse, your children, or your parents – whatever it might be, that is the first step. The first campaign is the internal campaign to make sure that you have the support of your family to do this. Because you, while you think, well, it's just the school board, you will quickly learn that there is no such thing as just the school board. That the time commitment to run for office and then serve in that capacity is, is in some cases, greater than other races. So that brings in another factor, and that is that it's important to have the support of one's family members to win them over, to convince them. Uh, and they, they have to genuinely be supportive because otherwise it just may, it, it's too difficult otherwise right. because when you're in a – particularly in a competitive campaign, if you don't have the support of your family, then all of the stresses of the campaign are compounded and you don't have the backup that you need in order right. to withstand right. that. If you're, if you're running for school board and your, your spouse doesn't support it and you're out late, you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night at school, some campaign meeting or some meet the candidates night – and you come home and you don't have the support, it makes it very difficult. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, and the related issue there that you brought up is the amount of time. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was a party chairman. I was a candidate. I've, I'm an elected a, a office holder now. It always takes more time than we might think at the front end. And that's something that candidates should be prepared for so that they're not surprised. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, the amount of time dedicated to this is going to be a lot greater than you think. People oftentimes just think it's going to be, I'll go knock on some doors, I'll put my name on a ballot, I'll go to meet the candidates night. And then you realize that there's, you know, 20 meet the candidates nights. Every civic, every community group has it. You need to knock on more doors. You have to go here. You have to go there. It's a very time-consuming activity, and you need to make sure that you have that time. Um, do you have a, a job that allows you to have that flexibility to go do these things, or is it going to be that you have to miss a lot of things because – of your you know, previous commitments or your, your, your occupation or some other op opportunity that you might have somewhere else. So you need to kind of find a balance there to make sure you have the opportunity and the time to do it. I found uh, when I filed uh, most recently in 2020 for a local planning office in San Diego, which I now hold, uh, that the moment I filed my papers, th that was a kind of a magic moment and that something changes at that point and then you file those papers, you can't pull them back, your name is on the ballot, your name is on the line. And then for me, all of a sudden, okay, I have to do everything necessary in order to uh, achieve victory in this campaign. And it becomes the number one priority for time, for energy, for effort, uh, uh, willpower, uh, re you know, financial resources, et cetera, because that's kind of, that's the tipping point. Uh, up until the time you file, uh, you can change your mind. You've got nothing on the line, et cetera. But once you file those papers, you're going. And, uh, and your name is going to appear on the ballot no matter what. And, uh, and that, I found, was the moment where all of a sudden the time commitment really went up uh, because, uh, you know, because now we have, a, we have a deadline, my name's on the line, and we have to win. 
Yeah, that's how it should be, right? Um, that if what you just said is a candidate who is committed to winning the race, to, I'm putting the time in to do the job. Oftentimes, that doesn't happen. Oftentimes, people just get the name on the ballot and they go, I'm done. But you, like when I ran, and I was, I was much younger when I ran, once my name was on a ballot, it didn't matter if I, you know, in my heart of hearts thought I was going to win. It became an all-day, all-encompassing you know, all commitment from May to Election Day. And I knocked on doors every single day after work because I couldn't miss my job. I still had to pay the bills. Every single day after work from 4.35 o'clock until literally until it got dark, I knocked on doors. If it was raining, I was still knocking on doors. I did that from May to November. I remember being out there sweating in the heat in August and people giving me bottles of water. And then in November, wearing a winter coat because it was so cold. Like that, mm -hmm. It was the mm -hmm. shift during campaigning. And I missed family parties, and I missed events, and I missed vacations, and I missed you know games and NASCAR, all the stuff that I wanted to do because I was committed to this race. Regardless if I thought I could win or not, I was committed because if you're going to run, you got to put your heart into it. You bring up another point that I think is really important, and that is uh, someone's job. And, yeah. uh, and, and it's important. Uh, candidates have to recognize that given the time commitment that realistically will be required for to run a competitive campaign, to run a serious campaign, to do the things that have to be done, one has to make sure that financially uh, that, that, uh, that that's something which is not going to uh, break the family, that's not going to uh, you know, hamper your ability uh, to, uh, you know, to make a living, that's to right. pay the mortgage, and so on. And some people have that flexibility in their work, uh, and other people have less flexibility. So what type of what's your advice to a candidate in terms of what they should go through to make sure that they can check that box, that they can afford, uh, that they can afford the time and the, and, and what it will take financially in terms of financial commitment to, to run for office? Well, I think you need to figure out, first of all, you know, even before you start, again, the question here is, you know, are you ready to run? Right. So as part of this, you know, this exercise of figuring out, you need to figure out, find out, what is the time commitment for the job first, right? How often are the school board meetings? Do I have to go to all the school board meetings? Are they at night? Are they during the day? Do I work nights? Do I work during the day? Can I beat all these school board meetings? I've, I've seen people who kind of like the school boards who were who had jobs, and when their job said, we need you tonight, they're like, well, I have a school board meeting. Well, your job doesn't really want to hear that. Your job wants, we're paying you, we want you to be here. I'm sorry you have a school board meeting, but you need to make a choice, right? So make sure that you have that flexibility. If you have a school board meeting, you can mix your, your job. The campaign is going to be the same way. If you're going to be knocking on doors and going to events, are you going to miss work to do these things? And if you do miss work, can you afford to miss work? One of the things you'll notice is a lot of the time people who run for office are self-employed, they're attorneys, they're accountants, they have jobs, small business owners, they have jobs where they kind of control their own schedule and have the ability to be flexible. It's hard if you work nine to five at the bank to be at a school meeting at three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so, the, the, so there's a couple of different time commitments that candidates have to be prepared for. One is, do you have the time to run for the office? Number two, do you, if you win, do you have the time to serve sure. in the office? Right. And for me, uh, our school board meetings were, uh, were once a month. They were at night, no problem uh, with uh, balancing you know, work and, and the school board commitment. But then there were other times when 
if you only go to the school board meetings as a school board member, that's really not enough right. because you have to be go, willing to spend the time to go to the schools, to go to every campus. In my district, we had 11 high schools. So there's 11 different high schools that are there, plus uh, other educational facilities that uh, that we had and so on. And you have to not, not just visit the campus and make sure you're familiar with it, but meet the people, listen to them, find out what's happening so you can be well-informed uh, and that you can also be visible and, and that nobody wants to be. It, it's never advantageous to be the invisible school board member. And I'm sure you're invited to every football game every concert, every play, every award ceremony, every awards night, every literally, you got invited to all these activities as a member of the school board because that's what happens when you're on the school board. You become a representative. Like It's like when you invite the local council person to the Little League. It, it's kind of the same thing. If you're yep. on the school board and the school's having a football game, they invite the school board. So yep. now you're like, oh my God, I have to do all this other stuff that I didn't think I had to do. Right. And you, they don't necessarily have to do that. Right. But but there's a balance there. But yeah, that, if you're going to uh, do the job the right way, you want to be there. You, right? you if you're going to give your all to the position, you want to be there as much as possible. That's right. So there's a, there's a time commitment to run the campaign. There's a time commitment to serve in the office uh, as well. Now, so let's say all those, those boxes are checked. Um, running for office isn't, uh, isn't a one-person show. It's not a one-man or one-woman no. show. You need to – so let's talk a little bit about – having a kitchen cabinet or what we call a kitchen cabinet or, or people who are supportive of you that you can talk to, et cetera. What does the group around the candidate look like for a successful, uh, for the candidate to be as successful as possible? Well, on most simplest terms, these are like your, your trusted advisors. These are people that aren't in formal roles in the campaign. They're not necessarily the campaign manager or the finance chair. People who... These are friends with something to contribute. Friends something, exactly. Maybe someone's a president of the PTA, the other one's the, the chair of the Little League, um, maybe someone's on the school board and give you some advice on how, how it operates. These are kind of informal advisors that kind of help you develop, you know, what you need to know and, and, and get your election kind of rolling. So having that team of people also provides some objectivity. Because yes. one thing that I found is that candidates lose two things when they file. First, they seem to drop a couple of IQ points because candidates candidates become a little sensitive because they lose their objectivity. Right. And then once you're a candidate and it's about you and it's your name on the ballot, then there's a tendency to perhaps want to react to a lot of things that don't merit reacting to. Uh, you know, People start saying bad things about you. People who are not used to that in a competitive race, people who are not used to that may overreact to that. And, that, and, and so what you're doing with that team of advisors, it's not necessarily that, it, these are your friends. These are your right. friends with something to contribute. Right. And you're borrowing their objectivity and you're bouncing things off of them. And a good candidate, in my experience, asks, what do you think? What do you hear? You know, uh, et cetera. And, and in so doing, borrows on that objectivity and the perspective of other people because you lose that objectivity when you're the candidate. Yeah, you know, maybe you're, 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 you're all set on, you know, cutting a particular program and you feel that that's the way to go. And maybe one of your, your, your friends' advisors is the president of the PTA. And she's like, listen, I know you think that you know, the Latin program is not important. We can save, you know, a million dollars a year by cutting it. But I'm hearing from the PTA parents that this is important. They want this program. So you'll get insight from areas that you didn't are a part of that you now are, are privy to, which is a benefit to you. Because maybe you're like, oh, man, well, I just thought that, you know, Latin, who, who takes Latin anymore? 
But turns out that Latin's popular, and it actually happened. Is that right? It's a real example. It's a real example that I I didn't. I said it. I didn't think of. It hit me after the fact. Yeah, when a Latin teacher retired, and then they needed to replace the Latin teacher. You know, that reminds me of of a related story of why it's so important to have solid conservatives on school boards who are interested in making sure that the number one priority is the quality of education. Uh, Much of what a school district can do is governed by the collective bargaining agreement that's reached between right. the district and the uh, and the labor unions that are representing teachers or what we call classified workers who are uh, they're the non-instructional staff like janitorial staff and right. landscapers and and so on um, and that collective bargaining agreement doesn't just uh, deal with uh, with compensation and you know terms of employment but it goes into other areas which impact instruction. So for example, in our district, we had 11 high schools and we had a provision in the contract, in the, in the labor agreement, that basically meant that you could not assign a teacher to work at more than one school. And, uh, and you might think, well, that's normal, teachers work at a single school. Ah, but remember, we were a high school district. And what if we wanted to offer uh, a, a course in Mandarin Chinese, right. uh, but there's not, uh, or we want to offer a course in German uh, or some foreign language or some specialty area. Uh, you know, we want to have a robotics uh, course or something, and some specialty class that there's not enough demand at one high school for that, for one te- to justify one teacher full time. But if we could have that teacher work in the mornings at one high school and then literally drive two miles away for, to conduct a class in another high school in the afternoon, that was prohibited by our collective bargaining agreement. And so when these when contract negotiations come up, uh, number one, it's ideal if we have candidates and, and office holders who will look for what are the opportunities that renegotiating that agreement present that we can have the flexibility to improve the quality of, uh, of the schools, but that also means having to listen and look for opportunities and, and so on and be engaged uh, and, uh, and in a way that you're willing to push for something because in government nothing happens unless pushed right. and making a change from the status quo, someone's going to be upset. And that's another thing about being ready to run for office and that if you're going to move anything, you're going to upset somebody who's vested in the status quo and you have to be willing to make some people upset and that you can handle that and know where that line is drawn, where you've gone too far now, I've upset too many people and I can't get anything done. Whereas if you don't upset anybody at all, you make no change. Right. You risk, you know, having more friends perhaps. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about making the decision to run and and that is deciding whether a race is winnable. Let's talk a little bit about how does a candidate and their team decide whether they can win a race or not? Right. Well, first, I think you have to decide if that's the goal, right? Um, oftentimes, people run for office just to, to promote an issue, for instance. So maybe in this case, that, that's To make goal. a point. To make a point, right. Um, but let's just say that your goal is to win a race, right? So you need to sit down and, and determine, you know, can you get the votes necessary to win? Well, that, there's a lot of things factors go into it. How many candidates are running? How many seats are there? Um, is there one seat available? Is there three seats available? Are there six candidates? Are there five candidates, right? That's the first thing. Figure out, you know, if the math is there, right? How many votes is going to require? Then I, I found running for office is a challenger. Uh, so in my most recent race, I was a challenger, and I challenged two incumbents. There were two seats up. 
uh, and two incumbents were running, and I challenged them, and, and, and my candidacy forced the election, or the fact that there were three candidates for two seats forced the election. Filing for office as a challenger against an incumbent is kind of an aggressive act, yeah. right? Because you're really stepping up and saying, I want you out of that seat because I want that seat. And it's a little different than running for an open seat, right? right? Because you're you're directly challenging. You're telling someone, I want you out of that seat because I want I want it. And deep down, that incumbent is always offended because how dare you run against me? What, what did I do, right? So especially if you know the person, it's even worse. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely correct. Open seats are a lot different than a challenger. You step up to exactly. Right. So you have to be you have to be prepared if you're running for if you're going to serve as a challenger that you know that when you file. You, number one, you've already made an enemy. Right. The moment you file against an incumbent, that incumbent is now going to be grumpy with you. Uh, they're going to treat one as an, as an enemy, and you're coming after them, and they're preparing to coming at, come after right. you as well. Right. Absolutely. So first, so let's talk more about how you make that decision in terms of candidates and so on. So go on. Yeah. So now you've determined, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do this race, and you figure out, you know, you do you have the votes? Will you be able to get the votes that you need to now be successful? And where are those votes going to come from? Um, you know, if you are somebody who just has a grievance against the school district, a personal grievance, you don't have kids in the school and you just taxed it too high, is there enough people with a similar, you know, position that will back you? Start developing your base. As I mentioned before, most of these are nonpartisan elections. You don't have a, a, a partisan R, base. Yeah, a partisan an R D base to fall back on. So where is your base going to come from? Is it going to be from your neighborhood? Is it going to be from maybe a taxpayer group if, you're, if your taxes are your issue? Is it a parents group? Try to determine, figure out where your votes are going to come from. Now, maybe it's not one group. Maybe it's the PTA and it's the soccer moms or the, the, or the lacrosse dads, right? Figure out where those votes potentially can come from. Where, what are you involved with that you can get votes from? So what does the field look like? Am I challenging an incumbent or am I running for an open seat, recognizing that it might be harder to run against an incumbent uh, right. than for an open seat unless that incumbent uh, has some type of problem, exactly. right? Exactly, right. Exactly. Like they've been involved in a controversial issue or they've done something controversial that the voters were not supportive of, uh, be supportive of. And you find that incumbents generally uh, have an advantage when they're running for office. In California, for example, you can have a ballot title um, uh, when you're running for local so-called nonpartisan office. Your party affiliation doesn't appear, but your occupation can appear there. And when you're an incumbent, you can say you're an incumbent or you can list the name of the office that you right. hold. Uh, and and that serves uh, to the advantage of incumbents. Uh, however, incumbents also have to sometimes take some tough votes. Right. And so you find that when there's an incumbent who's gotten into trouble, uh, then all of a sudden the number of people interested in running against them goes up because they see Absolutely. an opportunity. Right. right? Okay. So and if on. you're on the school board and you know you raise taxes or you you cut positions or you um, cut programs. These are things that can come back to, to, to haunt you in a future election. Right, right. And the challengers are often going to seize these opportunities. And often cases, this is why they're running. Uh, very often do people run for office because they're happy with what's going on and just want to run for office, right? There, there has to be some, some motivator, some driver to say, you know what, I see something that can be improved here. I see something that's wrong and I want to get involved to do it. 
So if you're an incumbent and you're being challenged, there's, there's a reason why you're being challenged. But other times it's ambition that there's somebody who wants to climb a ladder, sure, right? That sure, they want to sure. they want to run for state assembly sure. in the future, so they're going to run right. for water board now, and then they're going right. to you know climb the ladder. There's always there's always those people, right? Yep. But yep. generally speaking, I, w- I would say that you know, especially the school board elections, it tends to be more issue driven than social or <laughs> political climbing. So so one decision is. Can I personally make the sacrifices needed to run? And then can I make the sacrifices needed to serve if I, if I win? And then we have to know, is there a pathway to victory? Is there a way that I can win this race? And that may also involve looking into how much does it cost uh, successful yes. candidates in the past in order to run? Are you going to be able to raise that money from others or are you just going to bankroll it yourself? Right. Um, uh, and I've done it both ways. Uh, I've run for office as a self-funder where I funded the campaign entirely myself. And then uh, in when my lieutenant governor race, it was entirely funded through the generosity of, of donors who believed in me and, and, and supported that, uh, that candidacy. There are strengths and weaknesses, though, in terms of doing that. And when you make the decision as to whether you can raise the money, I think one of the questions is, do you have a network of people you can tap into? So if you can't write the checks yourself to, to fund your own campaign, do you have a network of people that you can call upon to help you? So right. let's talk a little bit about that. So the first donor to any, anybody's campaign should be their own, their own candidate, right? If you're running for office, you should be at least donating something, putting investing some amount of money. Because if you won't invest in yourself, how can you get other people to invest in you? So that's just put that in the back of your head. Even if it's a, it's a small amount of money, right? You should be your, so, your first. So owner. you should be able to pay the filing fee, out of right? Your pay own the pocket, filing fee, maybe so, you know, pay for a flyer to hand. And, and right. if you're not in a position to put a single dollar into your own campaign, then you probably are not in a financial position to, to be run able for, to, to exactly. run for the office. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Then once you have you know determined that you can, you want to do this and try to raise some money. Do you have friends who can help you raise money, right? You might maybe form a little finance committee. And I use the term finance committee loosely. I don't mean organized finance committee, but a few people who you can put in a room. It's a couple of people who know a couple of people. Right, exactly. And maybe they're only writing you $200 checks or $100 checks. or. So the, the more formal way we would describe a finance committee is a network of people with networks. But in reality right. is we know some people who know some people right. who can. Who, who maybe they, will write you a check tap. for. For 50 bucks, right? Exactly. <laughs> for low, vote, right. For low dollar, right. This isn't, you know, vote for president, right? So it's going to be smaller. And it's, it could be informal. Now, maybe you're in a larger district where it requires a more formal structure. Maybe you have a finance chair and a, and a, and a finance team. Um, that's typically not going to be the case in these elections. And then you try to put that money together and then you figure out where you're going to spend it and how you're going to spend it. So now we've, we've decided we're going to run. We looked at the field. We're starting to raise money. Now we got to figure out what to do with this money. So that's the next step. Yeah, I, I think there's some sometimes when someone steps up and they're new and they want to run for an office, uh, it's important to not underestimate that if you're challenging an incumbent, the incumbent knows certain things that you may not know by virtue of having run before. Right? right. They ran four years ago, or they ran eight years ago, or maybe they've been on the board for forty years. Whatever. But. It's important to level that playing field by getting that level of knowledge, to, by getting closer to where the incumbent is in terms of understanding what does it cost to run? How, many, how much money do people typically spend on these races? There are some local government, office, government offices in my county 
where people spend zero. Right. They just put their name on the ballot, and, and then, you it. know, it's a roll of the dice. They call their they, friends on election day and say, hey, don't forget to vote for me. And, and, and in some of these rural areas, that's the case. But in other cases, there's we have school board elections in San Diego County that cost six figures, right? So Lawn signs, ads, whole nine yards. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's important. I think one of the most important traits for a candidate, and this is coming out of 31 years in politics, and I've kind of done it all, presidential campaign spokesman, state Republican Party chairman, et cetera, that the, f- the most important ingredient for a candidate is humility. Because if you lack humility, then you can't learn. If you lack humility, the first step to learning is the admission that there are things that I don't know. Right. And then That's once true. you open the door with, by saying that I don't know, then you are receptive to learning more about uh, about it. And if you've never run for office before, then you don't know what it is to run for right. office because you haven't done it. The incumbent has. Right. And so At least once. they know, right? So <laughs> they know how to file, when to file, what, and they've made mistakes as well, which you haven't made yet because you haven't run for office right. yet. So having that degree of humility, number one, and then recognizing, hey, the incumbent, even if I might disagree with them, or by the way, you might complete, you might not disagree with them. It just may be that you want to run for this office and there's someone else who's also running and, and so on. You, they may not be at quote adversary in that way at all, but being open to the fact that there are things that they know that I don't know. And therefore I need to go out and learn those things by, uh, by getting the training necessary to, to run a campaign and then also learning about the office and the process and so on. It's going to be in this area of process where incumbents always have an advantage right. because they've done it. They've run before. They've gone through the process. They're going. They're they're in the school board meetings. They get briefed by the superintendent. People at the district return their phone calls because they're on the board and so on. And the challenger has no ha, does not have the same type of right. access. So, the challenger candidates have to close that gap with the, with the incumbent. I think that's vital. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the more you can learn by talking to different people, different groups, um, the more you can benefit from leveling the playing field. And that's definitely Yeah, because uh, I, I, I think it's important for a candidate not to be surprised once they file, right? Because once you file, you, you right. know, you're not pulling your name off the ballot. Nobody should be surprised then to find out, oh, how much time does this involve? How much money does this involve? I didn't realize you have to raise this much money and, I've and seen so on. That, right? I've seen that at, at bigger races where they, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they get in the ballot. Like, really? Every day I got to knock on doors? Really? What was, you know? 90,000 voters in your district. How do you think you're going to reach them all? So the, the, the candidate has to identify, am I able to do this? Am I able to run? Am I able to serve? Uh, what type of campaign is necessary to win? Right. And that's the difference. It's not just what does it take to run a campaign? What does it take to win the yeah, campaign? Yeah, right, right. And that's what you need to figure out. And then, you know, What's it going to, like you mentioned before, you know, there, there are races where people spend no money and there are races where they have, you know, six figures. So you got to figure out, is this going to be a campaign where we're going to do newspaper ads and television commercials and lawn signs and palm cards and, and, and rallies and door knocking? Or is it going to be more of just going to neighbors and, and saying, hey, vote for me? So that's, that's the next step is to figure out what kind of campaign you're actually going to run if you're going to win an election because your, your goal is to, is to be successful. And no one should be too intimidated by this no. because people do this all the time, right? right? This is Correct. this is not uh, you know having to you know discover cold fusion or something, right. right? The 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 positive thing is that challengers run and win all, all the, the time, time. Right? right? So it's but it's important to to demystify 
the office and the campaign as much as possible. Now, we can't demystify the office for our listeners because we're not there. You're there. We're not there. But what we can do is help to provide the knowledge and the framework and the training for how to run a campaign for office. And that's what the Leadership Institute School Board Campaign Training provides. So uh, this podcast is part of our School Board Campaign Training Program. You can learn more by going to leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. And you can take the entire course online. It's about 12 courses uh, at last I checked. And we're adding more all of the time. Uh, and they're taught by experts like Bill Falk, like Rick Tyler, like Tom Jones, like Bill Baber, people who all have in a great deal of experience, and they're bringing that experience to you to learn ab- about how to design, implement, and win a campaign uh, for public office. So there's that closing that knowledge gap, right? So people have to close that knowledge gap by getting the training, then finding out about the office, finding about, out about what does it typically cost to run, what do candidates typically, what do candidates who've won what did they do in order to win? Right. What is what is required? And then can you put together the financial resources needed to, to, to win? Right. Not just to run the campaign, but to, but to win. And so how often is that a determining factor in winning or losing, Bill? Well, it should be a determining factor in, in, in every, any race, right? You should really be – the problem is that oftentimes we overestimate the resources we have available. Um, we think we're going to be able to raise, you know, $100,000. We can't. Um, and that's one of the big issues when you're developing this whole plan of deciding to run is whether or not you can raise that money. Because you can't, you don't have the resources to execute the campaign and then successively win the campaign. It, maybe those are the, those are factors you want to consider before you decide to run. Because um, obviously that's the whole point, right? Yes. And so <laughs> if you, if, so, so is there the pathway to victory? Right. Do you have the ability to raise the funds in order to do it? And to answer that question, you've got to talk to other people. Right? right. It's hard for us to – right. You have to talk to other people who have been involved. And that's why uh, politics really is a team sport. Uh, and there's lots of people who are individualists. I'm an individualist, et cetera. Uh, but ultimately, the, even before you file, it's a, you need a team. You need a team around you to borrow upon their, uh, their, um, their objectivity, their perspective. You need a team of people who will help you and volunteer. A team is necessary to raise the funds needed to put the resources together. And by the way, no one should ever believe that, well, I'm going to run a grassroots campaign and therefore I don't need to raise money. Right. That, that is a myth. Even the most grassroots campaign requires money so that the grassroots have the tools that they need, that they have the palm cards to hand out, that they have the door hangers, that they have the signs and so on. There's no grassroots campaign that doesn't require money. The grassroots necessitates money. It's just a question of how that money is going to be allocated in, uh, in the campaign itself. So can you put the time in? Can you, can you serve? Uh, and is there a pathway to victory? Can you put the funds together needed to win the campaign? Right, and then uh, once you pull the trigger, then the final you know piece of advice uh, I think it's so important uh, that uh, that you've seen as well is candidates have to <laughs> candidates have to make sure that they are conducting themselves as if they've already run the office, yes. won the office. Meaning in terms of their conduct, 
uh, let's talk a little bit about being in the spotlight in your community. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, a county's public office, like you said, should act like they're in public office. They should show up. They should be dressed properly. Um, they should be speaking properly. They shouldn't be, you know, able to control what they say, control their actions. If you're in a meet the candidates form, you can't just start, you know, throw, you know, personal bombs against your opponents, um, calling the names. You need to have a certain level of decorum because people need to be able to see you as somebody in the office. And if they see you as somebody who can't control themselves and meet the candidates night or debate, then they're not going to see you as somebody who can hold the office. So you have to have a certain level of decorum and respect for the office that you're seeking. Yeah, I think I think that's important, particularly with social media. Oh, absolutely. That, uh, there could be people who have been posting all types of things uh, that may have been perfectly fine if you're just kind of spouting off on Facebook. But but those same things, when seen through the lens of a potential school board member, uh, all of a sudden is a different standard that's applied. And, uh, you know, the, your use of language, weighing in on issues and so on, it becomes entirely different when you're a prospective office holder than when you're just someone who's engaged on social media. Yeah, if I'm friends with somebody on Facebook or I follow them on Twitter or Instagram or something, and I, you know, I, I, they, they throw these bombs, and maybe they make good points, right? Maybe they, they, they have witty points about you know issues that are important today, and you agree with them, but then they announce running for office, and you go, hmm, well, I, I. I kind of agree with his points, but I don't really think he has or she has the temperament for office. You might think twice about voting for that person because you're expecting a certain level of decorum from your elected officials. Yeah, exactly. And respect. Exactly. So I think in, in closing, I think there are a couple of key questions that, that uh, people need to be able to ask themselves and get to the right answer. Number one is, can I win? And that's defined by, uh, by you. And that you right. mentioned earlier that Usually, you run for office to win the office, but that's not always the case. Correct. Absolutely. Maybe you're laying the foundation for another race. Maybe you're just trying to highlight an issue. Maybe you're trying to, you know, um, just try to get your name out there for something else. You know, it depends why you're running. And oftentimes, it's, it's not oftentimes. Occasionally, it could be not to win. Second question is, can I afford to lose? Can I afford to lose? Right. Exactly. And let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you put your name out there and you're sacrificing your, your, your time and your effort and your money to, to do something, and your family, for instance, you know, what happens if you lose? Is there going to be a negative side to that, right? If I lose, will I have a job? For instance, if you're an elected official and you're, say, just an just example, you're an assembly person who gave up your seat to run for Congress, and then you lose, maybe you're unemployed now, right? So that's probably not happening at the school level, but if you lose, there could be consequences to that. Yeah, there also could be consequences if you run for office 13 times in a row and lose every time. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think that, that candidates can step up, and it, if a candidate steps up and loses, that's okay. There's always a future, right? Uh, a potential future, unless you've done something which you know disqualifies, disqualifies you, you right. Anthony Weiner or these right. other you know people who lack good judgment. Uh, but if you step up and run, and you run too many times and you don't succeed, you run the risk of being seen as a perpetual candidate, a gadfly, someone who runs but never wins. Correct. And and that and I think that's the other side of can you afford to lose? Maybe you ran last time. Well, then this time you got to run for something which you can win, right? Uh, and uh, you know, and or, or else you run that risk of being pigeonholed. And in just that way. to just to put an add to that, 
oftentimes some of the best candidates who are successful in the future are people who ran and lost. Right. Because they had the experience of losing. So they kind of learn some of their mistakes. Yeah. So the next race comes along and they're more successful. But as you mentioned, that helps maybe once, but by the sixth or seventh time, that's different. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of funny in that, <laughs> in that uh, failure could be a great teacher. Absolutely. But if you keep failing and failing and failing, people conclude he's not learning right. or she's not learning the lessons coming from those defeats. And we all can think about in our heads, the, the candidate or the people that we know in certain places who ran for assembly, then for Congress, and then for town council, and then for dog catcher maybe, and lose every single time. Right? There's always these, we all can kind of listen to this podcast and go, yeah, I know something like that. Right. Occasionally you got to win. Right. You Occasionally you got to win. Exactly. Uh, question number three is, can I afford to win? Right. Can I afford to do the job if I, if I succeed? Now, people will be like, well, what does that mean? Well, that means maybe you have... You, your the commitment, time commitment to the job takes away from your other responsibilities, be it your family or your job or your other vol- voluntary organizations that you're part of. And if you now take on this new position, is that going to hurt you somewhere else? So the question is, can you afford to win? Next question, can I raise enough money? Can I raise enough money? Everybody thinks raising money is easy. I will argue that it's probably the hardest thing you will do as a candidate is to go up to them, somebody, and ask for money. But you're not begging. Not right. You're not. You're not. You're begging. not begging. You're you're giving people the opportunity. Correct. You know, and this is th- right. this can be really intimidating. I think, and and that is that it's you're not begging. You're not asking people for for money for yourself. As a candidate, you're stepping up and doing something and putting time in that no that that very few other people are doing. Correct. So the the p- people who would potentially fund your campaign or support your campaign with a small contribution, etc., they don't have the time. They're not stepping up. Right. But you're stepping in their shoes. You're offering to represent them. them. You're doing something for them. Look, I, I'm stepping up to help make our schools better. Would you help me in doing that so I could represent you? Right. Right. So, uh, but ultimately, there, you, the candidate has to determine, am I going to be able to hit that mark to fully fund the campaign so that I can so be I successful? Can yeah. And then finally, can I do this to my family? You're, you, you have I a family. On that. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know, th- there's a little bit of sacrifice that the family has to make, too. Yeah. If, you know, if I was out every single night knocking on doors and then got elected and now I'm out maybe three or four nights a week, um, at a school board events or school board meetings or school events, you know, that could pay, play a toll on my family. You know, am I missing dinner? Am I missing bedtime? Am I missing, you know, reading? Am I missing family activities? That, you know, how is that going to, how is that going to affect my family? What are my, what are my kids going to say? What's my wife going to think? Um, and those are all things that go back to the very first question that we asked is, you know, getting your family on board. Right. But at the end of the day, Ser- serving in public office can be enormously gratifying Absolutely. because you're once you're there, you're no longer just spouting off about things. You're not just p- posting a comment on Facebook or or tweeting something out or calling into a radio talk show or or saying nothing but uh, you know being frustrated about things. You actually have the opportunity to move things and to 
put ideas into action. It's the and Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena thing, right? It's, the, it's all about you know being part of the process. And yes, it's very gratifying. To be Teddy able to Roosevelt say, who said it's not the critic who counts, it's the man in the arena with blood and sweat and tears and of course now man and woman, the person in the arena, uh, men and women all stepping forward in order to do that. It's not the critic who counts, it's the person in the arena who's making the difference, who's putting ideas in action. And that's why for all these challenges and sacrifices that candidates have to make, ultimately there is an opportunity to put ideas into action. It's a great thing. It's, it's not an opportunity to get rich. It's an opportunity to, to change the world and to, and in the case of running for school board, to make our schools better so that the next generation of Americans have an even better opportunity to succeed because they're well prepared with that uh, high school diploma for college, uh, trade school, or the workforce. Yeah, and being part of that process is very gratifying. Be able to say, I was part of that. I helped do that. It's uh, very rewarding. Bill, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. This wraps up another episode of the Leadership Institute School Board Campaign Training Podcast. The Leadership Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan foundation dedicated to giving conservatives the tools they need to fight and win in the public policy arena. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a tax-deductible contribution online at leadershipinstitute.org. You can access the entire Leadership Institute School Board Campaign Training Program at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.